Welcome to season four, episode one of the Mindset Neuroscience Podcast. Thank you for returning if you have already listened to previous seasons, and thanks for joining if you are new to this. It's been a while since I last recorded, and I'm really happy to be back. I've been focused on book writing, so that book is The Biomechanics of Human Communication, and it has a focus on systems thinking, attachment theory, and regulation, so self-regulation and co-regulation. And I'm happy to be back to podcasting. It's one of my favorite things. So thanks again for all your support and encouragement over the years that I've done this. This season, I'm going to be focusing on healing and resilience and purpose So the interconnection of all of those things, of how we recover from adversity and trauma, and how we find a sense of meaning in our life as well. There will be some interviews coming up and also some solo episodes like today's. Today's episode is going to be focused on returning back to mindset and specifically growth mindset, and the role that it plays in healing and resilience. If you haven't heard any of my other episodes on mindset and growth mindset, we will touch on that today. But a very quick overview of the idea of mindset is that it is very related to the term paradigm. And paradigm is something that has emerged again and again when it comes to things like breakthroughs, scientific breakthroughs, breakthroughs in attitude or changes in attitude that the mindset and the paradigm from which we operate is really key to our motivations, to our behaviors, and how we perceive the world. There are different ways to talk about mindset or paradigms. Donella Meadows, who's one of my favorite systems theorists, in her book, Thinking in Systems, she talks about leverage points to change. And she goes through a series of different ones that have the potential to very significantly and in enduring ways change systems, change the trajectories of different systems that we live in. And that includes individuals, societies, communities, brains, environments, and things like that. There are quite a few on her list that I will touch on in this season. Purpose is one of them, the goals of the system. And I'm going to do that in a future episode. In today's episode, I'm going to touch on her top two leverage points to change. And that is her second one is paradigms. So the mindset out of which the system, its goals, its structures, its rules, delays, parameters arises. And she talks about it being a shared idea in the minds of society. So she's talking about it on a societal level in terms of paradigm. 
And it's our deepest set of beliefs about how the world works. So I like that summary of a definition. Her top leverage point to change is to actually transcend paradigms. So it's to go above the level of mindset in the sense that we are aware that we're operating from a specific worldview. And by being able to pop out of it and to know that we're in it, first of all, is itself a paradigm, which is funny, but also that's what allows us to view the various mindsets that we can see operating in ourselves and the people around us. And that gives us a better ability to point out flaws, poke holes in the theories that we see, and to look at what works for implementing positive change and healthy adaptation to our challenges. So I love the idea of bringing up the concept of mindset to make it more explicit because that's what allows us to have an even more meta view of it. And that's what allows us to know what might be operating on a very unconscious level for us in terms of how we think the world operates as well as our own personality and the different behaviors we have. So I'm going to return back to mindset in a second. I want to first go into the topic of resilience and then how these two intersect. A definition of resilience that I like is the capacity of a dynamic system to withstand or recover from significant threats to its stability, viability, or development. And I'll put citations for the research that that comes from. So that's from Mastin, 2011. Resilience has a lot to do with dynamic capacities to recover and adapt to different situations. Within resilience, there is a concept that is very highly related to resilience. And this concept is called hardiness. So hardiness has strong correlations with resilience. The hardier a person is, the more resilient they are. And there's three components to hardiness. The first is a commitment to finding purpose in life. So that's going to be something I cover in a future episode, this idea of purpose and finding purpose, making meaning of things. The second is a sense of personal agency. And the third is a belief that one can grow from positive and distressing life events. So those three layers of hardiness are really highly associated with resilience. And they highlight the idea that resilience is more of an interactive process rather than a fixed trait or characteristic of a system. And that very concept right there, the fact that resilience is an interactive process is very aligned with the idea of a specific kind of mindset or paradigm that's called growth mindset. And so if you've heard any of my other episodes, you have heard of growth mindset. And that is a big part of what is emerging in a lot of resilience research and coping. Human ability to withstand and adapt to challenges is this idea of growth mindset. Before I jump into specifically growth mindset, 
I want to talk about how mindset and resilience overlap and how research is really showing us that when we focus in on the mindset of the people who are involved in whatever intervention we're trying to cultivate or whatever kind of change we're trying to encourage, when we focus on the level of mindset, there can be really dramatic and long-lasting shifts in behaviors. Part of this emerging research is called lay theory interventions, and another term they use is wise interventions. These interventions don't focus so much on strong directives of how people should behave or not behave. They're a little more indirect, and what they're doing is they try to elicit change in people from that person's own wisdom and that person's own knowledge and their own desire for change and their own motivations. So going into the level of mindset can be really helpful in terms of eliciting change because autonomy is really important to us. So when people feel like they are being persuaded, when they know that the goal of something is to try to persuade them or change them in some way, a lot of people can become resistant to that. But the idea of these wise interventions is to try to elicit a person's own wisdom and their own connecting of dots, their own logic models, and to help create space and create mental experiments, in a sense, for people to play with other explanations, to poke holes in their own theories and come up with adaptive ones, ones that are maybe more updated. So the term that comes up in some of these interventions is lay theory, which is another word for mindset. That lay theory and interventions have to do with a loosely articulated but coherent worldview that guides a person's constructs of ambiguous situations and also then therefore shapes their motivation and behaviors. It's not a rigidly articulated worldview, but there's coherence to it. So there's kind of like a working model, and that's why they call this a lay theory of how the world works, how people work. So people have this. We all are operating from these various mindsets. And a wise intervention or lay theory or mindset intervention helps focus on creating the changes in behavior that don't necessarily change an objective situation, but they instead help encourage people to change their own working models, their own theories. I'm going to add a caveat to that, an asterisk to that, which is that when we're thinking about these mindset or wise interventions, it's not because we don't want change to occur. So some people go to this extreme where they're thinking that if we try to help people have a different mindset and they're more resilient, they're more adaptive to adversity and challenge, that this is then going to lead to nothing ever changing in the world. And that, for example, in that person's life, they will only have to continuously adapt to adversity. That's not where this research is going, and that's definitely not 
where I fall in terms of the importance of mindset interventions. How I see these playing out and what I've seen in the research in terms of how much mindset interventions help people is that it helps create a higher level of cognitive flexibility, what we call regulatory flexibility, which I'll get to a little bit later, and a wider repertoire of possible actions to help create change in that person's life, which might have to do with the circumstances at one point. But the first part that in a way really helps to create change in someone's circumstances is when the mindset becomes one that has more growth approach to it, meaning that a person can change how they cope with different situations. They can change the actions they take. Things are not completely fixed and rigid. And so moving into a a mindset that has that kind of process to it and this evolutionary essence to it where it can evolve and grow and change helps a person get out of very rigid type of action repertoires and out of a maybe repeating or self-fulfilling prophecy type of thinking. So that's where these mindset interventions, I think, are very helpful. It's not because we want people to just accept and be complacent and satisfied with whatever they're going through. It's more that it helps open up a person's mind and their thought action repertoire for helping to create change in their life one way or another. So I think that starts internally with how the blood flow and the different energy is devoted to different resources and networks within the brain. And those can be very exploratory, solution-seeking, adaptive, or they can get very stuck as well. So energy and blood flow and all of that can become very rigid and fixed in a sense in many people's minds in terms of the systems and networks they use. So we're looking at this idea of mindset interventions in terms of how they help increase flexibility, increase cognitive adaptation, diversifying thought action repertoires to help people create lasting improvements in their life. So in terms of that, some specific types of mindset interventions have to do with growth mindset, which I mentioned earlier. So growth mindset is something that can replace a fixed mindset. And some other terms that have been used for these is growth mindset has to do with incremental growth and interactive processes of growth versus fixed mindset, which is related to entity theories. And entity theories are also, in a sense, essentialist in nature. And what they reflect is an idea or belief that things are fixed. They're inherent, they're innate, and they're fixed. They're incapable of change. Whereas growth mindset, incremental theory, has to do with the fact that and the belief that various features of us, whether it's our intelligence, our personality traits, our behaviors, there is some level of interactive processes that go on, and there is some level 
where change can happen. This is not meaning that there are no types of slightly more inherent or innate characteristics of people. There's a lot of personality traits that seem to be quite enduring and long-lasting. But when it comes to behavior change and a lot of different interventions that have to do with improving people's lives and their outcomes, there is a substantial amount of evidence at this point based on many, many, many studies on mindset that growth mindset, this idea when a person adopts a new worldview of themselves and of people that is more about interactive and dynamic processes that are capable of change, that they have improved outcomes in life. So with these wise interventions, these lay theory and mindset interventions, what they're finding is that they can be more powerful than many other kinds of interventions that focus on very specific types of strategies or behaviors. What they find with these wise interventions is that they can trigger pretty significant changes in relatively stable characteristics of people through brief interventions that are based on persuasion and attitude change strategies. So some of these persuasive strategies include something called self-persuasion. So self-persuasion is in contrast to direct techniques that they use, for example, in advertising and political rhetoric. So self-persuasion is a little more indirect and it entails putting people in situations and even thought experiments that lead to different reactions and thought patterns where that person is motivated to persuade themselves. So this can be particularly powerful and successful in terms of interventions because it gives people the opportunity to be more autonomous in their thinking and to find their own reasons for self-persuasion. Another persuasive technique that is involved in a lot of these wise interventions is strong arguments. So this has to do with the quality of an argument. And this is slightly in contrast to the idea that sometimes an argument is persuasive, but only because of the person's credentials or very external factors surrounding the argument, not the actual construct and quality of the argument itself. So strong arguments have to do with the quality of them. They also have to do with that when people think about this argument, it generates predominantly favorable thoughts within that person, which is in contrast to a weak argument, which would elicit more negative types of thoughts when the person thinks about this argument. And then a couple other components of strong arguments, they also have to be believable and comprehensible. Another element of persuasive techniques and attitude change that's involved in the wise interventions mindset to interventions are descriptive norms. And that's where people are given information about the behaviors and attitudes of their peers. Those are just some of the components of a mindset intervention, a wise intervention that's focused on people's mindsets. 
There's these persuasive techniques that are used. And what they find in some of these interventions is that they reduce beliefs that consist of entity theory of personality. So a big example that has come up over the years has been about cyberbullying and also teen depression, so depression and anxiety in adolescence. And they have found some really strong suggestions that these mindset-wise interventions can be really helpful for reducing anxiety and promoting more pro-social behavior in young people, and specifically around the topic of cyberbullying as one example that they've used. For example, with reducing beliefs about this entity theory of personality, which means that we believe that people do not change, that personality traits are completely fixed and will never adapt, will never change. What these interventions suggest is a different type of theory and a more interactive process type of theory of personality, a malleability of personality theory. And so part of this is using examples of past acts of online aggression and victimization and showing different testimonies and scientific studies about the changeability of that. So that if there has been a past act of online aggression or victimization, it's not caused by fixed traits because that belief then causes those acts to repeat again and again. If it's a fixed trait, it will just repeat. So that goes for both victims and aggressors. What they find in these interventions is that there are different changes that happen in cognitive aspects of how a person thinks about behavior and personalities. And one of them is that the person's implicit theory about personality malleability changes. They begin to have an idea that people can change, and this increases their sense of agency because it allows them to see that there are different routes that they can choose. There's different courses of actions that could be taken that don't align normally with the victim or aggressor personality. They have a way of updating that. There is a way for them to alter the course of the future that is not based on repeating the past. The other part that also kind of adapts in terms of their cognition when it comes to these interventions is there is a cognitive reappraisal. And the big reappraisal is that the way people react to stressors can change. So this helps people choose various strategies for coping with stress. And there are a few dominant ones, such as seeking social support, distraction, relaxation, using movement and sports, and cognitive types of reappraisal, looking at values, things like that. There are different strategies that a person can take to cope with stress. These kinds of interventions, getting to this place of mindset, is where we are really trying to help encourage and elicit improvement in people's outcomes, despite what has happened in the past. We are trying to get to 
the paradigm, the way they see the world, the way they see people. When we can make that view more flexible, when we can make it so that a person can see that it's not some inherent trait that made them a victim or an aggressor, that there are different courses of action that can be taken, that there are different ways of coping with stress. These are things that when we can get to that level inside a person's worldview, this is where we see very sustained, long-lasting, and significant changes in behavior. So they will see things like the intention to defend a victim in the future increases dramatically through these interventions. They also see significant decreases in anxiety, particularly social anxiety. A lot of these interventions have very high associations with lower depression and depressive symptoms among the people who have gone through these different interventions. They see reduced aggression online, and they also see various other really positive outcomes depending on the intervention, like improved body image, lower substance use issues, and different things like that. So these kinds of interventions are quite powerful. There is a substantial amount of research now that really supports the use of these WISE interventions, which are, again, these briefer types of interventions that are really focused on mindset and the paradigm of people. A big part of how I also see this really playing into the idea of resilience is that there's a fairly large focus on the flexibility aspect. So this ability for our minds to become more flexible and open, exploratory and adaptive to what is happening. This falls in line with a theory that I believe I've mentioned in other episodes, but it's so important that I'm going to mention it again. And this is particularly from the research of George Bonanno, and it's regulatory flexibility. So with regulatory flexibility, what they are seeing from the research is that a person's ability to cope, the stronger those abilities are, the harder it is to predict specifically what an individual will do in response to different situations because the highly resilient people are ones that are very flexible in their responses. There are a few key components of what we see in these resilient individuals. One is they have a large repertoire of strategies. Repertoire has different components to it. So size of the repertoire has to do with how many different kinds of strategies they use. And this can go along a spectrum of engagement strategies to disengagement. So engagement strategies being really involving oneself in thinking about the problem, in feeling and embodying the emotions, whatever, maybe it's a grief or a loss or a frustration, to really be in the problem and engage with it. Disengagement strategies have to do with distraction and not thinking about it. 
Also thinking about, let's say, if there's a grief or loss, to think about one's future without that person, to do activities that have nothing to do with that person. Those would be disengagement. And what they see from research on grief and loss is that the disengagement and engagement, playing with those and dancing between those, has a very high association with coping adaptively with loss. The temporal aspect of our strategies is also important. So that has to do with before, during, and after. People who engage in some kind of preventative type of strategy where they know they're going to be entering a stressful situation, they do things ahead of time to prepare themselves. And that could be something regulating where they're calming down their system. They might also be visualizing and mentalizing what could happen in that situation and having some alternate routes that they're choosing from. Then there's the during the situation types of repertoires, which can be in a certain moment might be focusing on one's breath. It could be focusing really on the situation at hand. They even find that the during part, there can be engagement and disengagement. And when arousal levels are extremely high, For many people, a very helpful strategy is to actually distract themselves until that level comes down to a more manageable place and then re-engage with something like trying to have a different interpretation of the event. That is an example of a during type of strategy. And then the post, the recovery kinds of strategies. So having a variety of these different moments in time where we deal with challenges, the before, during, and after, that's also a very important part of our repertoire. And then again, somewhat related to the size and the list and the diversity that I was talking about before, is the different types of arousal levels that we use for our strategies for coping with stress. That sometimes we allow ourselves to have these high arousal levels and sometimes they go into more of a distractive kind of disengaged type of affect. The other component of regulatory flexibility that's very important is context sensitivity. So that is the ability to appropriately and adequately detect threats and opportunities and to use the appropriate and adequate resources for navigating them. So it's not overreacting to an event as though it is more threatening than it should be, but also not underreacting when something is negative or deleterious, really not healthy for us, and not taking action towards it. So that can have to do with boundaries within our relationships, saying no to unhealthy influences in our life, and really taking somewhat more assertive action towards them. So it's using appropriate levels of energy and resources for dealing with threats and opportunities. That's context sensitivity. And then another component of regulatory flexibility is feedback responsiveness. And that has to do with a willingness and ability to cease, enhance, modify, change in some way a strategy we're using, using constant live feedback and inputs. Trying something out, but having the flexibility to monitor whether it's working or not, and then to change or cease or enhance 
the strategy that we're using. And there's two kinds of feedback that we can look at for that. And one of them is social, trying different strategies that we're using and looking and monitoring the live feedback of whether that is leading to outcomes we want in social ways. And then internal feedback. So monitoring our internal state. If we don't want to be anxious and our heart beats really, really fast and our breathing is really shallow when we're anxious, if we implement a strategy and it helps to slow down our breath and slow down our heart, then we know that it's working. If in that moment it's still continuing to be extremely high and we can barely breathe, then we know that strategy is not working. So it's time to try a different strategy or modify the one we're using. So responsiveness is extremely important. And that's where I think a lot of these mindset interventions are so powerful, is that they are allowing for a person to become more flexible in their responsiveness to what is happening. That means that if we are trying to improve an aspect of our life, and we notice that it just seems to be on repeat, that it's this continuous repetition of the same types of issues, the same types of distressful internal states that we don't want and that don't help us on repeat, just repeating over and over and over again, it means that we are lacking in some of that feedback responsiveness. And a really big place where we can look at in terms of creating that change is in our mindset, in our paradigm. Do we believe we have the capacity to change some of our regulatory strategies? Do we believe we have the capacity for that? Do we also see ourselves as having a personality that can have some traits that can be evolved? And do we see other people as capable of that as well? These are things that can help us tune into more of a growth mindset, an interactive process type of mindset rather than the fixed one. The two components that come out of the interventions that we can apply to our own lives are these theories about personality malleability. So are people capable of change? And cognitive reappraisals of different courses of action. So are we able to change the way we react to stress? Where there can be a lot of resistance is that if there are situations going on in our life that we do not want to have, some of the resistance will come from, I don't want to change the way I'm reacting to this because I want the situation to change. And that is, of course, very understandable. The tricky thing here is that if our response to whatever this stressor is, is not adaptive, and particularly if it stays very rigid, if it keeps just kind of repeating and we don't have any other way to choose another course of action, to choose another way to perceive it, then it will continuously keep us in that distressful state. And the problem with that is that that robs resources and blood flow and energy from entering different kinds of networks that could potentially find a different course of action. When we go into negativity type of bias, and they see this in a lot of research that has to do with anxiety and depression, is there is a rigidity and a very narrow repertoire of strategies. 
There is an attentional bias that is rigid and tends to focus very specifically on what doesn't change and what is negative and does not open up. And there is a course of action type of rigidity. So the response is the actual actions, whether it's tone of voice or words or phrasing, movements, behaviors, those stay in a very, very limited, narrow range as well. And the problem with that is it never allows for an opening of channels of information that something else could work. Because if we don't realize that our attentional mechanisms are constantly focused on the negative, constantly focused on something that's not working, it narrows our attention to only see that, which means that other input cannot enter our system to activate new networks, to activate different types of thought processes that might allow us to experiment with something slightly different and then to see if that works. It also means that we are holding a theory a very fixed theory about our ability to change, about another person's ability to change, or about the situation's ability to change. If that is fixed, if we stay within the paradigm, the mindset that it is a fixed thing, then our attentional mechanisms are guided towards that, to only seeing that. And we see that in a lot of the different kinds of research that's out there on this. In order to expand our attention for it to not be so narrow and rigid, we need to have an ability for that awareness to expand ever so slightly, if possible, in incremental ways to open us up to the possibility that there could be one other course of action we could try. There could be one shift that we make in how we are responding to an event, and that will allow for different behaviors to then ensue, which could help with changing the situation. So where I see a lot of resistance when it comes to mindset is that people think it's this extreme that if they regulate themselves better or feel better or feel more calm or growth-oriented about something, it means that the really crappy situation is never going to change, but they're going to be happy in that. And while that could be true as well, that's not necessarily the point of the mindset shift. The mindset shift is for allowing our thought action repertoires to increase, to become more flexible, more solution-oriented, so that we may notice things we've never noticed before. And some of that input, some of that data is going to be what allows for the situation itself to potentially change at one point. But the mindset has to open up in that sense and become more flexible. And just one more point on that is that people who are very flexible and who have high levels of functioning and performance tend to be the people who are the noticers, people who notice things that other people don't notice. When you're able to notice things that you've never noticed before that other people are not noticing, means your awareness is very expanded. It means that you are allowing more data to enter your system that can allow for a little more diversity of which networks are going to activate. And as that happens, as you have more diversification 
of the networks that are activating in your mind, it gives more ability for different centers to communicate and for new solutions, new strategies, new other kinds of awareness and revelations to occur as to what you can do about it. That's where the insights come from. So rigidity of thought is going to really block that from ever happening. That really, to me, is the essence of where we're going with these mindset interventions and specifically growth mindset that has to do with interactive, dynamic processes of growth and change and malleability versus, in contrast to fixed type of mindsets that have to do with things not being able to change and a very rigid and fixed way of looking at things. So that's a giant overview of how mindset and paradigm and resilience flow together, interact together. In future episodes, I want to add another layer of purpose into this, transcendence as well, self-transcendence and purpose. And some interviews that are coming up are going to have to do with post-traumatic healing and looking at different systems that play a role in our life in how we cope with stress how we see the world and things like that. So very quick overview of this episode is that we're looking at resilience. We're looking at this idea of hardiness, which has to do with a commitment to finding purpose in life, a sense of personal agency, and a belief that we can grow from positive and distressing life events. And that belief has a lot to do with the idea of growth mindset. And growth mindset is one part of a set of different mindset types of interventions that have to do with lay theory and what's called wise interventions that work on the level of a person's paradigm, which is their worldview. It's their system of beliefs of how the world operates. And as we see in systems thinking, this idea of mindset and paradigm is one of the most powerful leverage points to change. So when we can think about that for ourselves, the worldview we're using, whether we think personality and behavior is malleable or not. These are things to think about as we enter our life, as we deal with people. And the more we can stay open to the possibility of change and to look at examples of it, as well as look for resources of people that are encouraging us to change our own reactions to stress, how we deal with it, are the courses of action we take. How do we deal with adversity and challenge and distressful situations, as well as the positive ones. The more we stay flexible in that and allow our awareness to open and notice things we've never noticed before, the more flexible our mind becomes. And this is a really big part of resilience. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I have a lot of stuff coming up. I have seminars every month. That is one of my absolute favorite things that I launched this last year in October. An incredible group of people sharing insights and wisdom, long periods of Q&A at the end for people to ask very specific questions about their own life. 
and different topics each month. We'll be having another one on vibrational beings and the frequencies and signals we transmit and detect, as well as resilience in relationships and a few other topics. So you can check those out at stephaniefay.com. And I'm also launching, again, there's a waiting list right now, but I'm launching my project coaching program again. So that is more one-on-one coaching for coaches, clinicians, people who are helping others, trying to have an impact, and one-on-one strategy sessions for building frameworks and integrating neuroscience into what you already do. So to support the wisdom that you already share, but to give you an extra edge with neuroscience research support on that. So you can also learn about that at stephaniefay.com slash neuroscience. Thank you again, all of you, for your support and encouraging me with your emails and your lovely feedback and comments. I really appreciate it. If you love this content, I would definitely appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can also email me at hello at stephaniefay.com. Thank you. Thank you.